Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Amen. What a blessing this morning. Thank you, Brother David. Thank you, Brother Greg and Diana and and, uh, Linda for the great music this morning, the choir special. What a blessing that was today. We'll hold up the light. Amen. And uh, this week we had an opportunity to be light in, uh, in Florida, and we're thankful for those who gave. Uh, those who came, I appreciate Brother Doug Sedgwick and Brother Ken Whitecotton uh, and my son Asa, who all went down there to Florida and just was able to minister. Uh, we, we worked, and we'll share a few pictures later on, uh, but we got in about 1 o'clock this morning. And, uh, and so I told someone uh, last week, I was talking uh, to them, I said, listen, this is either going to be the longest sermon on record or the sh- shortest sermon on record. I said, we'll, we'll see what happens today. And so y'all are probably rooting if there's a game today for the shortest, uh, uh, but uh, anyways, we are thankful to be back in the house of the Lord, and we're thankful for Sunday uh, because we every Sunday we get to uh, come together, we are reminded we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to mention a couple of things as you turn the Bible to John 17. First off, in your bulletin, you received one of these flyers. This is a Fall Harvest Festival that's coming up this Wednesday, and there's going to be inflatables and games and and food. Uh, There's going to be an outdoor service, so bring your jacket. Uh, And so that starts at 6 o'clock, the inflatables and everything. If you want to come for the service, it'll start around 7, and so be there for that. Uh, And then uh, we'll have a great night together as we just uh, serve the Lord. Uh, And this is open to the community. Take that card, invite your neighbor, especially if they have children. We put those in the bulletin so you can help us get the word out. Also from Sister Billy Hutchinson, she said, just a simple note to tell all of you so much, uh, thank you so much for the prayers and the cards that have been sent. I appreciate them very much in Christian love, Billy Hutchinson. And so thank you for loving on her and be a blessing to her. And, uh, and just being a blessing, I tell you, we took a love offering down to Florida uh, for the church and those that were affected by the storm you gave. We got to literally participate in that New Testament principle where we carry that offering into a church that was needing it. Uh, trees are on buildings and our crews cut up uh, uh, trees. We tarp roofs. We were, uh, we were all over the place, but we're thankful the Lord let us do some work and be a blessing to those folks down there. Well, look in John 17. And in John 17, I remind you, we come to this Lord, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, sometimes people call Matthew chapter 6 the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, and, and oftentimes when we reflect on that scripture and we think, well, that is the Lord's Prayer. I would say a, a better title for that would be the model prayer. This is how we pray. But in John 17, we find a priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. I remind you, the Bible teaches in Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. 
He is the one that is uh, interceding on our behalf. And we can go to the Father because of Jesus Christ, our mediator, and the one that stands between us and Him. And we, when we come into the throne room of grace, the Bible says we can not come fearfully or ashamed, but we come boldly because of who Jesus Christ is and what He's done for us on the cross. He is our great high priest. And, and truly today, as a church, we worship Jesus Christ and Him alone. We don't worship a man and we don't worship a church building and we, none of those things. We worship Jesus Christ today. And so we are thankful that through everything that we face in this world, and, and these, these buildings may be removed, but I remind you that we together as, as the saved, born-again believers that are a part of the New Testament independent local church here, we are part of the body of Christ today. And I just remind you that it doesn't matter what happens to the buildings, we're still uh, together as a church. We are the church and so John chapter 17, we see there's three sections in John 17. In the first few verses, Jesus begins to pray, and He prays that God would take His life and use it for a glory uh, for, uh, for, the he for heaven and for the Father. And so He says, Lord, let my life glorify You in everything that I do. And truly, that should be our prayer. And then we see His prayer for the disciples. The disciples were about to go through a time of in intense persecution. Uh, they needed God's boldness. And we do today, amen? We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened uh, to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we would go uh, and work on a, a, a roof for some of these uh, folks, we were working in a 55-plus community there, and, and their lanai's were just peeled back, and some of them uh, were peeled back and flipped over on top of a house, and they had their poles sticking up in the air like a great flagpole. And we'd get on these roofs, and we would tarp things down so the water wouldn't get in and the rain wouldn't come. And, and I just remember multiple times as I'm talking to people... And I would begin to share with them about Jesus Christ. Listen, we're not there just to tarp people's homes. We were there to give them the hope that they can have a hereafter full of, uh, of God's glory there in His presence. And so as we come to the final section of John 17, starting in verse 20, we see that Jesus prays for us. What a blessing to know that Jesus is concerned for us. You, you, you see here in the 21st uh, century, we often... Uh, 20, whatever century this is, I, I remind you, I'm on three brain cells. That's about all I have left after this week. So if I, just give me a little grace this morning. If I say something crazy, just say, okay, he needs more sleep. Amen. But you know, as we look at this, we see that Jesus, even in this moment, knew that we would need his prayers. As he looked down through time, he, as the omniscient uh, God of all eternity, remember, he is the first and the last, as Revelation says. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He is all that we need. And as he looks down through time, he says, listen, they need uh, prayer. And we do need prayer today. And we think of the church, we often picture these beautiful buildings. And we often picture maybe these uh, majestic statues or maybe you think of some other, uh, an altar full of candles that come to mind. Maybe you think of something like ornate rituals, or maybe some, uh, uh, the papal system. But listen, none of these are the church. The word ecclesia means a called out company, or a called out assembly. And in the Bible, it can refer to three things. It can refer to a, a mob, it can refer to the children of Israel, or specifically, as we see in the New Testament, we see it referred to the body of Christ. 
Specifically, we see oftentimes it refers to that local body of Christ, that local assembly of believers. And so if we're to accurately use biblical terminology here, if we were to actually define ecclesia, that Greek word, we would probably call it the called out assembly of God in Christ. But that's a mouthful, so we call it the church. And so here we have, we begin to see this, this care that Jesus has for us today. I remind you that even the word church carries the full meaning of our purpose, of our belonging, and even our identity. Who do you belong to today? You know, because that matters in our life. Who do you belong to? You say, well, I'm my own man. I'm a self-made man. Well, let me just remind you that your God is you and you're in trouble. The importance of the church today, the importance of this body of believers couldn't be overstated. And and God knew that, and so we see a couple of things. I'm just, as your your finger's in John 17, we're going to read the passage in just a moment. But as just a a warm-up here this morning, we're going to check your your fingers, see how tender they are this morning, how ready they are. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn to those two passages and, uh, and be ready. Because the importance of the church couldn't be overstated. Because it is uh, the church that God purchased with the blood of His own Son. You see, Christ loves the church, and He died for it. The Bible says, Take heed, in Acts 20, 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Listen to this statement, which He hath purchased with His own blood. You see, God doesn't say, well, church is kind of optional. What He says is, listen, it is so vital, and you are so important, and this assembly is so vital that I'm willing to lay down my only son's life for you. It goes on in Ephesians chapter 5. Flip there with me. We have several verses there we're going to look at. Because it is this, this body of believers that Christ loves... We see He loves us, we see He nourishes us, we see He cherishes us. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, listen to this, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. And so He gives us instruction regarding the family, but in doing so, He gives us a picture of, of the love that God has for the church today. Verse 29, there in the same passage. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. That's the kind of love that God has for us today. That's the kind of desire He wants to be able to infuse in the church. And I was, I was contemplating and thinking about this morning, and, and there's so many worries that go on a pastor's mind. And, and we just launched Go Nights this week, and what an exciting thing that was. And maybe some of you were the one, uh, people who got visited. And let me just encourage you, uh, man, what a blessing it was to be a blessing to you. But as we did so, I, I couldn't help but be reminded, listen, Lord, we're going to be obedient, but we're going to trust you for the results. It's the Lord that builds the church. It's the Lord that nourishes it. It's the Lord that cherishes it. And we're going to trust Him uh, with the results here today. Amen. But one day, we're reminded that He's going to present to Himself the church. And it's not going to be a church with wrinkles. It's not going to be a church with spots, but a church that's blameless in all of her glory. Verse 27 in the same passage. And He says that He might present it to Himself... A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, the glorious thing is Jesus died to save us, and then He works to sanctify us. 
And so I was saved moment, uh, at the moment. I bowed my head and said, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And that very moment, I was instantly saved. And there's nothing and no one that can remove me from the security that I have in Jesus Christ. But over the last uh, 30 plus years that I've been saved, the Lord is constantly working in my life to bring me to a place where I am more like Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not there. I've not arrived. And, and my family will be the first to tell you, yeah, Dad's dad. Uh, and, but here's the reality that He's working in our lives to bring us into His image. Are you willing? And one day when we stand before the Lord and we stand before the beam of seat of Christ, all those things will be uh, presented before Him. And I tell you, we will be perfectly spotless. What a glorious day that will be. Amen. But you see, building the church... This love that God has for it, dying for it, He became that cornerstone of the church. He became the rock upon which all of this is built. It's not built upon uh, a man's vision. It's built upon Jesus Christ. He's our cornerstone. And so when we uh, come to Hillside Baptist Church, we don't go to the newspaper to find out what we should share every week. We go to the Word of God and say, what does God's Word have for us? Because we want to know Jesus. We want to walk with Jesus. We want to share Jesus. And that's what missions is about, is taking what we've received and being faithful to commit it unto men all around the world and saying, listen, this is, this is what God has done for you so that men and women and children might know that there is a God who loves them and died for them. You see, that's the, the uh, plan that Jesus had for His church today. And so God builds the church, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watered, but God that giveth the increase. It's God that builds it. It's God that works in our lives. He stated what we, in Matthew chapter 16 that we can have confidence. You know, when I come to church and I hear the, the crazy things that go on in the world around me, sometimes it's easy to think, well, you know, if our 501c3 tax status was removed, what would happen? Would people still give? And, and I believe that people of Hillside Baptist Church are like, listen, I don't give because it's a tax write-off. I give because I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. You know, and, and, I, and it's easy to start worrying, well, you know, if, if, if the buildings were removed, what, what would we go to and what would we do and how would we meet? And, and, you know, if we had to live in a place like China where the gospel is suppressed and people are locked up for their beliefs, what would we do? Would we continue? And I'll go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. He says, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, a little stone, a pebble, nothing, insignificant, but upon this rock, the rock of Jesus. I will build my church. And listen to that phrase, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For 2,000 plus years, the church has been persecuted. They have, they've tried to uh, destroy Christianity by literally eliminating everyone who believed that Jesus is the Messiah. They've gone through and they've tried to uh, compromise the church and we saw that during the Dark Ages and, and even before that, where the church, uh, there was paganism that came into the church and uh, rituals began and, and other things that had nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, the true church remains today because Christ promises the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, but the church, God wants us to be a blessing to one another. 
And God uses each of us in our spiritual gifts. And God uses our lives to be able to help further the gospel. And man, I was so blessed when over 30 people showed up Tuesday night to eat a sandwich and to go out and to share the gospel and to be a blessing to other people. We had some on door knocking. We had some going to be an encouragement. Some that were just following up. And I tell you, what a blessing it was when 30 people came out and, and were just here together with a desire to use the gifts that God's given them to be a blessing to the church today. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.12 that He's given us pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We work together for this purpose. You see, as we exercise our spiritual gifts, it aligns us with, uh, with Christ and what He is doing today. You see, God's gifted us, each one of us. The moment I was saved, He gave me some spiritual gifts. And over the years, the Lord's allowed me to add to those things and, and build upon those things and invest them back into the work of God. And, and let me ask you, if you've got a gift, are you using it for Jesus Christ? Because that was His plan. Amen. The Bible says that Apostle John, uh, you know, if you look through the Apostle John, his writings, and John, the Gospel of, you'll never find the word church used at all. But by the time he wrote this epistle, the church... Uh, had already had this testimony, is what the Bible says in Acts 17. It says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the uh, rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You see, the church was already alive. It was vibrant because people were letting God be God of their life. And they said, listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to share it. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to proclaim it. I don't care what it costs me. You see, and it's this calling that God has placed in our life and this, and this church and this local assembly today, together that God uh, desires for us to continue to send missionaries, that God desires for us to continue to pray for our missionaries, that God desires for us to continue to give to missions. And you see, over and over again, God uses our life today to be a witness all around the world. And so let's look together at the Scriptures in John chapter 17 and see how Jesus prays for the church today. John 17 and verse number 20. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And we'll talk about that plan in just a moment. That they, may be, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and, that, uh, and hast loved them as, th as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them mine, thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's stop and pray. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word and the preparation that has gone into the service for, the, uh, for this aspect. Lord, from the worshiping song to the worshiping giving to the worship even now in word. And so may you, Lord, be glorified. May you draw us close to you 
And may your word never return void, but may we be that clay in the potter's hand, ready to be pliable and moldable into your image. So God, we pray that we might leave here today with a desire and a hunger, not only to know you more, but to be strengthened in our faith to continue sharing the gospel. So God, we just pray that your spirit would have reign here in in the next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christ looks forward to some of the things the church would face, we see that his prayer is that they would be perfected through it all. And so last time we saw a protection prayer, and we saw that protection that Christ prayed over those disciples. But today we're going to see a perfection prayer. And as we see this, we see the church is not mentioned by name in John's gospel at all. And matter of fact, by the time he wrote this gospel, it was already a force to be reckoned with in the world. But because of persecution, we see the apostles even had spread out and had begun to to reach further with the tentacles of the faith into all of the known world at this time. And so by the time uh, John wrote this, we see uh, the Romans had already destroyed Jerusalem, torn down the temple, and God was working miraculously uh, through sending out the gospel into the world all the way from Ethiopia, all the way up to, uh, to Rome and other places, the gospel had continued to go forward. And so before this powerful movement of God could ever begin, we find, though, Jesus Christ praying that the church would follow His perfect plan. And that's exactly where we want to begin in verse number 20 today, as we see this perfect plan of the Father, as, as Jesus is praying uh, that the plan would be realized today. And so look in verse number 20. It says, Neither pray I for these alone. I'm not just praying for the disciples here today, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You see, the reality is, is that uh, most of us in this room today, we receive the gospel because someone else shared it with us. And they received the gospel because someone else shared it with them. And they received the gospel because someone else shared it with them. And we could go down the line and down the line and down the line. And we go all the way back to where someone, uh, one of the disciples shared the gospel. And we're recipients because someone was willing to say, I will share the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. You see, we, we have a great, uh, a, a great blessing from all of those that have continued to be faithful. That was God's plan. God's plan was for the next generation to continue to carry the gospel. We are the generation of next today. We are the generation that God is saying, will you help perpetuate the gospel? Remember the plan of God was stated by Jesus Christ. He says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, And everywhere we go, we see people in need of a Savior. This is a world that is lost, and, and as we just, we didn't get much news down where we were at over the week, but what we saw was little snippets here and there, and we saw uh, the suffering and the pain of things going on in Ukraine, and, and we saw the, the wars and the rumors of wars, and, and we hear of different uh, things in our own hometown and the shootings and, and things that have gone on even this week, and, and, and someone I know personally witnessed a shooting firsthand basis this week in our own hometown. I'm telling you, We are in a place where there is lost people all around us. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save those lost ones. You see, after His crucifixion, after the resurrection, just prior to His ascension, He was talking to His disciples, and this is what He told them. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power 
You shall receive that, that, that uh, excusia, that, that power, that dunamis, that, that place where they can uh, have that uh, ability, authority, as well as uh, the, the opportunity to go. And he says, and after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The realization is that Peter, who was always sticking his foot in his mouth, could have never in the next chapter preached the most powerful salvation message without the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. You see, but God worked through him. How many of you in here would say, Pastor, I am saved. I'm a born-again believer. Give a good hearty amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let me tell you, if you're able to say amen to that, then this morning let me tell you, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's the same Holy Spirit that worked in those disciples in the early days. It's the same Holy Spirit that worked uh, in those dark times. It's the same Holy Spirit that's at work in the world today. And I'm telling you, He's alive in each of us. And He says, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses. That was His plan. It was Christ's plan for the perfection of the gospel and the perpetuity of the gospel to be able to work through us, the church today. Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, this, this is God's desire for us as a church is to share this good news. It's the hope of all mankind today. I look at Washington oftentimes and I shake my head and think, what in the world is going on? Anybody else? But I look to the Word and I say, Lord, thank you that you're still alive. You see, Christ uses a word picture in the Bible and He talks about a harvest. Uh, one of the neatest times of the year. I don't I like to, the colding the effect of the fall because I hate cold weather, but I love to see uh, just the uh, combine harvesters in the field. Anybody else like to see those farmers working? I appreciate so much the farmers and what they do. And man, they just go out there and they work from dawn until dusk and then even turn on the cab lights and they keep on working. And the Bible uses this, this terminology of the harvest. And farmers in particular understand the urgency in reaping the harvest because if they miss that small window of opportunity, the harvest is lost. And the Bible says in Matthew 9, 37, then He said unto the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And you know what He's saying? He's saying, listen, we've got a small window of opportunity. He said, and there's not much time left, and we need more people in the field. So He said this, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. You know what the Bible is teaching us here? This idea of sowing and reaping. This idea that it is time to reap all that Christ has sown. All that those before us have sown. May we be willing to be the church of the next generation that's willing to carry the gospel. That's God's plan today. The Apostle Paul was one of the biggest antagonists of the church of all time. And as we look at the Apostle Paul's life, we think, man, he was killing people. He was taking people to prison. He was a man who desired the destruction of the church. But after his salvation, he became one of the greatest missionaries of all time. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. He said, listen, I know there's power in the gospel. And it's only by the gospel that people are saved from a Christless eternity. 
That it's only by the gospel, it's only through Jesus Christ that we have any hope at all today. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9 that the only way to save people is through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He says, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Not through Buddha, not through Muhammad, not through the papal system or the Pope or the church or anything like that but through Jesus Christ. Amen. That was the plan of God. And the plan of God was not that we would be the saving factor, but that we would be the ones that share about Jesus. Do you know Him today? Do you know the hope that He offers you? Because that is the whole purpose of coming today, is to know Jesus and to know Him more. Look at verse 21 with me in the passage. As we see the second part of this, uh, this today, and we see that He desired peace. Not just uh, that they would follow the plan, but that there might be peace there. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. One of the second things that Christ wanted to emphasize was that of peace. He, he places a priority on peace. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalms 133, verse 1, Behold how, uh, excuse me, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You see, as the psalmist wrote this passage, sometimes we have in our mind that, that things in Israel were always just hunky-dory. That people in the Bible had perfect lives and, and they never had any problems. You know, sometimes it's easy to get into this, this mindset where the people of the Bible, they had this fairy tale type of a life. And maybe that's a, a, a result of watching too many Disney movies, I, I'm not sure. But this is what I know. They were people just like us. And there were times where there was, uh, people's spirits became uh, disgruntled. And there was times where there was great strife. And there was problems. And people sinned. One such example, and there are countless examples in the Bible, was that of Korah. Now he rebelled against Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 16. And the Bible says that he said this in verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. You see, as, as Korah was complaining and he was rebelling against the leadership that Lord, the Lord had placed there, we see that this, this rebellion brought dissension in the congregation of God. And it stirred up the people. And because of that, the Lord, He, he placed a high priority on peace and their rebellion cost their lives. Listen to what the Lord did, just a miraculous moment here in Numbers 16 and verse 32. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. And they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Now, I don't know about you, that's a very vivid illustration that God says, I want peace. The, the ground literally opened up as they stood there and they fell down in the hole and then God closed it back up. You think, well, what, where did this come from? Why would they rebel? The Bible says in James 4 and verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not even thence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask it. You know what he says? The root is our own selfish pride. That's the, that's the when we come down to uh, times of friction, we come down to those times where we have uh, warring even in the church of God, we find it's always because of I have an eye problem. Hey, 
If we were to just say, Lord, I humble myself before you, and I want to make sure that my life is right with you and I'm walking with you, there will be peace. One time, a pastor and I, Pastor Tolbert and I, we were hanging a banner out in the foyer, getting things right, and, and my dad uh, and, um, taught me how to use a hammer and nail from the time I was growing up, and, and so I'm trying to put this nail on the wall, and he's trying to tell me how to do it, and I snapped off to him and said, Pastor, leave me alone. I know how to put a nail on the wall. Now, immediately, the Lord smote me. He walked away, and I, we finished putting up the banner, and, and man, the Lord just worked in my heart and said, you know that was wrong. I climbed down off the ladder and I went to him. And I, as I'm walking down the hallway here over here, here comes Pastor coming out of his office. And we meet in the middle and I said, Pastor, I want to say I'm sorry. And he's saying the same words back to me. You see, when we say, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. We lay ourselves down and say, God, it's not about uh, my desires, my wants, my hurts. But God, we just want to get it right. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, not slothful in business, serving uh, as fervent in spirit, Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. See, Christ prayed that they might experience a unity, that we might have peace here in the church because the war is not within the walls. We fight a war that's outside of the walls with a devil that's very real, that desires to destroy what God is doing in this place. And so Philippians 2 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Thirdly, we see that there is this possession. And Christ left the wonders of heaven, and as He did so, He reminds us of the possession that He wants us to have. In verse 22, And the glory which Thou gavest me, I have given them, that they might be one, even as we are one, I in them and Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. You see, as Christ left the glories of heaven, He was willing to set aside all of the glories that, that were there and to take upon Him the flesh, this, this fleshly robe, this, this, uh, this skin that uh, knows what it is to hurt and, to, and to, to have problems. And as He was here on this earth, though, we see that He still had this desire to be one with the Father. And so His instruction is that the Lord was now uh, handed us the torch to continue the race before us. And so what he did was he made himself available uh, to us. And so he said, Lord, be glorified in me and I in you. And then, uh, and then we see this realization that he wanted us, uh, desires for us to say, Lord, we are here for your purpose. Andrew Murray once stated, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm worried about my finances. Or, God, I, I, I can't surrender to the Lord because I, I don't know if I can trust Him that we'll be okay on the mission field. And, Lord, I, I, I don't know if I can really trust You. Listen, remember what the, uh, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Rest in Him. Bruce Larson tells of a story of how he helped people really struggling surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And for many years, he said, I worked in New York City and he counseled people in his office and a number of people who were wrestling with how to surrender to the Lord, how they could just, uh, just rest in God. And often, he said, I would suggest that they would walk with me from this office down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. And in the entrance of that building was a gigantic statue of Atlas a beautifully proportioned man, and with all of his muscles straining, he's holding the world on his shoulders. There he is, the most powerfully built man, and barely stands up under the burden of the world. And he tells the people there, and he says, now that's one way to live. And he walks them out, and he walks them across the street, 
uh, to the other side, and, and there on the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral, and there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the little boy Jesus. Eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he's holding the world in one hand. He said, we have a choice. We carry the whole world upon our shoulders. Or we can say, Lord, I give up and I trust in you. Here's my life. That's what it means to truly possess him. To be able to say, Lord, I rest in you alone. And when we do so, the Bible says that our light shines the Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is just in heaven. One last thought here as we close. Christ, in these last three verses, had a plea. A final desire, if you will. And we see this plea of Christ, and His earnest desire was that His followers would be with Him in heaven. Verse chapter 14 and verse 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, if we look at the Lord, we see in verse number 26 this, this importance here that He uh, places on the love of God. And we see that God is love. That's part of His nature and it's reflected throughout Scripture from the fall of man to the coming again of the Savior. We see that this is part of God's nature. The Bible says in 1 John four sixteen, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in, uh, in love dwelleth in God and God in him. The Bible says in John 13, 35, that it's the mark of a true disciple. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I'm so thankful to be part of this church. I'm so thankful for the grace that God's given us as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. <clears throat> but I remind you that it is that thing, that love of God that drove Jesus to the cross in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave. That was that love that drove him there. It is the love that, of God that desires that all men be saved. He says in 1 Timothy 4, 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thus we find Jesus Christ here praying. He's pleading for us to experience the salvation that He provided on the cross. And I'll tell you that that's the desire today. In 1981, there was a Minnesota, uh, Minnesota radio station that re reported a, uh, a story about a stolen car in California. Imagine that. But the police were staging an effort and they had, or were trying to go through an intense search to find this vehicle. Not that they cared about the car, but what had happened was the driver of the vehicle uh, was, was very urgent that the car be found because there on the front seat of his VW was a package of crackers. And in that package of crackers, it was laced with poison uh, because he was going to use it as rat bait. And so as they put out the APB, they put out road barriers, they put out uh, radio ads, everything they could to apprehend the thief. But it was not so that they could apprehend the thief so they could punish him, but so they could save him. Sometimes we have the view of God that, listen, God's doing everything He can to be able to punish. But the reality is that He's doing everything He can so that He might save you. You see, Jesus, as He prays, He prays that, listen, don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss that God 
loves you, that God died for you, that God wants to save you. It's not because He's looking to hurt or harm, but really to save you from your own sins. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Not could be death, but is. It's an affirmative there. This is what will happen if you go on along your way without Jesus Christ. But He says this with this most beautiful conjunction of all, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Christ's plea was that you might believe today. There was a, a fellowship of Christian athletes meeting. Bobby Richardson, who was the former second baseman of the New York Yankees, was asked to pray. And he got up and he prayed this. Dear God, not your will. Excuse me. Dear God, your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?